0: This question sort of also leads us into some big announcements that we have, because we realize that there is a huge gap between all the information you're getting from the fitness world and the wellness world out there and medical care. And we've been living in both of these worlds. We've been living in the fitness world through CrossFit. We've been living in the medical world through our training for the past 10 years And we see that there's a huge gap, and we feel like that is really our purpose and our position is to fill that gap, to bridge that gap. So that being said, today we are launching a brand new website, which is bringing together all of the different things that we've been working on over the past few years in such a way to help bridge that gap. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, let's get started with this week's episode. Hi there, you're listening to the Pursuing Health podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Julie Fouché-Ercuyo. I started this podcast back in 2015 as a way to continue to contribute to the CrossFit community after retiring from CrossFit Games competition. And over the years, I've been very fortunate to share in-depth interviews with experts in health and fitness, as well as everyday individuals who've used lifestyle to overcome health challenges with you every other week. We're now starting a new chapter on the podcast, and I am so excited to announce that my husband, Dr. Danny Urkuyo, who is also a family physician, will be joining me for some episodes. I'll continue to share long-form interview-style episodes with you here every other week, but now as a bonus during the odd weeks, Danny and I will share short 10 to 15-minute episodes on various health topics called Pursuing Health Pearls. Our goal is to offer you succinct, high-yield reviews of the evidence for common health conditions spanning both conventional and alternative approaches. You also may have noticed that for the past six months or so, I have not had any sponsors on the podcast. This was an intentional decision and one that Danny and I thought long and hard about. As we begin our careers as family physicians, we feel very strongly about our responsibility to remain as unbiased as possible in order to foster trust with our community and our future patients. Therefore, we've made the decision not to accept any sponsorship or endorsement compensation from industry from this point forward. That being said, in order to continue to produce great content for you here and on our new website, pursuing-health.com, which launches today, we've created a subscription model. Almost all of the podcast content will remain completely free, but we will offer some additional benefits for subscribers with the goal of getting back far more than you give. So for less than the cost of a latte each month, subscribers will benefit from exclusive discount codes. We want to continue to provide you with our unfiltered opinion about products and services on the market without you ever having to wonder whether we're receiving some sort of compensation behind the scenes. So rather than receiving endorsement or sponsorship compensation from companies ourselves, we're asking that those companies that we love, trust and use ourselves provide an exclusive discount code to our subscribers. This will allow companies to pass along the value of our endorsement to you all without you having to wonder whether we're talking about them just because we're getting paid. Well, we already have a great lineup of discounts and we will only continue to add to this list as time goes on. It's our hope that if you use even one or two of these codes, your subscription should pay for itself. Secondly, subscribers will also benefit from the opportunity to contribute to questions and listen to periodic, exclusive Ask Us Anything podcast episodes with both Danny and I. And finally, subscribers will gain access to our Morning Five sessions, five-minute movement sessions created to jumpstart your day, as well as our other online training programs, depending on your monthly contribution. In addition to our long-standing Train with Julie Foucher program, designed for more experienced athletes. We've also created a brand new Train for Life program, which is a 30-minute, five-day-per-week program that can be done with minimal equipment at home or on the go. So if you've been a Pursuing Health listener for any portion of the past five years and have found the podcast to have positively impacted your life in some way, it would mean a lot to us if you would consider subscribing at pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe. We're so grateful that you've tuned in to Pursuing Health, and we look forward to this next chapter of the podcast. Our episode today is a really fun one and one you all have been asking us to do for a while now. Danny and I sit down together to talk about everything from our backgrounds, how we met, what drew us to medicine, and more specifically to primary care, as well as answering some of the most commonly asked questions submitted by you, our listeners. We didn't leave anything out here, and we hope you enjoy listening to our story. As a quick reminder before we get started, this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your own personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. So with that, let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I am super excited for this episode because right now I am sitting in my living room with my guest, my butter half, my husband, Danny and MD, as his Instagram handle says. So thanks for finally making an appearance. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) Um, You guys, the listeners, have been asking for a really long time for me to interview Danny. And so I'm really excited about this chance for you all to get to know him a little bit better. So I thought that we would just start at the beginning because you have a very interesting background culturally and childhood. So I thought we'd just start off with telling us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I had a, a little bit interesting upbringing, pretty untraditional. So I am the son of a mom who's German and a father who's Nicaraguan. Grew up in Germany, spent the first seven years of my life there, and we can talk a little bit about that, but it was an amazing experience. Um, a little bit multicultural in the sense that my dad went to the United States, learned English, then went over to Germany to study engineering. Where and he, he was from Nicaragua originally. He was from originally. Nicaragua, yep. yep. And met my mom, mm-hmm. who was a nurse there, and um, they got married, and my dad started working for an automotive company. Mm-hmm. And... That took him to Detroit, Michigan, and we kind of set up shop here. I started to go to school here, Um, had a wonderful time doing that. Um, The intention was always to go back to Germany because um, we wanted to go back home, but Mm -hmm. we loved it here. My dad's contract kept getting extended um, at his request, and then we decided to stay. And uh, it was a pretty amazing experience. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: But very interesting. I know we've had several trips. Well, we've had a trip to Nicaragua mm-hmm. back in the spring of 2017. And then last fall, well, well I guess it was 2018, the fall, we went to Germany.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was really amazing for me to see all of your family together because you don't have a lot of family here in the U.S., but your family's spread out all over the world and very nice. multicultural. So <laughs> on both of those trips, there was french german spanish a little bit of english being spoken and lots of different cultures and lots of i guess it was just a lot of family it was Mm -hmm. really cool to see um and cool to see you guys all come together and and really be be family but live so far apart
1: yeah absolutely i mean our family reunions are always epic, <laughs> especially with my family from Nicaragua, because, uh, you know, a lot of people left Nicaragua um, when they grew up. My my dad's sister actually moved to Germany before he actually moved over there to, to, to go to school. Um, and like you said, we're kind of spread all around the world. I have relatives in Switzerland, in Germany, um, in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, folks still back home in Nicaragua. But the family reunions are epic. Uh, you know, we either have them. Um, like in our wedding, I think it's one of those (laughs) family family reunions, but also, you know, there's some Christmases that we spent in Nicaragua too. And it's just like you said, really, really Mm -hmm. fun to see people come from all over the world and kind of share their experiences and and share their time together. It's been great.
0: Absolutely. It was really cool for me to see and to be able to meet a lot of your family. I know when we went to Germany, that was Mm -hmm. the first time I had met a lot of your family over there. I had met some of your dad's side. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, they some of them came to our wedding and we had been to Nicaragua before, but your mom's side, that was the first time that I was able to meet yeah. a lot of them. And it was your, your grandma's 80th birthday. So there was a lot of celebration yeah. and cool to see where you grew up because that is really where you spent the first seven years of your life. And it was a very different pace of life yes. and style of living than we have here.
1: Yeah, very different. And I think very similar to a lot of um, cultures that we look at when we look at Blue Zones. Yes. so my grandma's home was pretty much kind of the nucleus, the, the center of the family. Um, lots of people were in that space all throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So in the morning.
0: And they live in a really rural area right. on a farm. Right? Yeah,
1: that's that's important to to mention. Yeah, so they live in a rural area on a farm. They're kind of farmers by, by trade mm-hmm. um, and their children kind of help with that and are helped with that. And mm-hmm. a lot of the different family members also have farms and they kind of help each other out. So when I grew up, everyone you know, had lunch together. My grandma would start making lunch around 11 o'clock. Everyone would come from the field. They would eat together, then they would come home from the field and have dinner together. Mm-hmm. And all throughout that were mixed different generations. So when folks weren't out working, you know the children were in the home, mm-hmm. many, many different generations, you know, the, the parents, mm-hmm. the the children of those parents and the grandparents, everyone was in that maybe not living in that same home, but we're always together either for a meal or for for gathering every single day. So there was a lot of interconnectedness, if Mm -hmm. you will, in terms of people uh, and the different generations. So that made for a really unique kind of interesting experience, something that's really, really similar to the the communities that we see that live a really, really long time. Mm
0: -hmm. And amazing quality of food because it was in, like you said, a rural area, a lot of farms around, so everything is very fresh. And even when we went back for our trip, a couple year and a half ago, there was, you know, your grandma was bringing up food from the basement that, you know, they had saved or harvested the summer before. So
1: it was pretty amazing. I still remember, you know, making bread with my grandma when Mm -hmm. we were really, really young they have, you know, the oven, they have everything kind of right there, there to, to make food. That's really, really high quality and all the ingredients you could never want. It's pretty cool.
0: A very cool upbringing. So once you moved to the states, you were Mm -hmm. in Michigan, Detroit area, and you also continued to have some very non-traditional, I guess not non-traditional, but some interesting hobbies growing up. So tell us a little bit about what you like to do as you were growing up and a teenager.
1: Yes, so I didn't necessarily do the traditional sports. Mm -hmm. I got into snowboarding and skateboarding at a really young age. Really, really enjoyed that, and. I think this is where I learned kind of, or had started my passion for working with my hands. I ended up building a lot of skateboarding ramps. Um, we actually turned our basement into a skate park pretty much. It was an unfinished basement, but we built, you know, rails in the basement. We built, we um, actually built a quarter pipe that went all the way up to the wow. ceiling. And it's still amazing that my parents let me use all I those know. power tools, but it was, it was cool they because I love
0: to let you follow your passion. It
1: allowed me to kind of be creative mm-hmm. and, and, really enjoy kind of building something. But yeah, so I got into, into skateboarding and snowboarding growing up um, and did that for a long time. Played some pickup soccer here and there. But mm-hmm. um, the interesting part is, is the music piece. So I grew up loving music, got involved in music from a really, really young age. My mom started me in music classes and kind of fostered that passion all throughout. Um, played guitar for a little bit, enjoyed composing music a little mm-hmm. bit, was in music classes at school. But at one point I wanted to get more into vocal performance and thought, okay, I think this is something that I want to really make a focus. Mm-hmm. So I decided to get a voice coach. Mm-hmm. So through a, through a friend, I got connected with a gentleman who um, had a really, really good reputation in the area,
2: mm-hmm.
1: met him and said, hey, you know, I, I want to you know, get started. He said, okay. And he starts singing. And to my surprise, he starts singing opera.
0: Oh, not what you were expecting.
2: Not
1: at all what I was expecting. But I said, you know what? Let's just give it a shot. Let's see if I enjoy it. And I ended up falling in love with it. Wow! So here I was, this kid who, you know, after school would go to the skate park and then would come home and then I would practice singing opera, which was (laughs) interesting to say the least. But But
0: cool for you for giving it a chance. I think a lot of kids would have... Just said, oh, this isn't what I was looking for. I want to find a different voice coach. But you right. actually gave it a shot.
1: I think it was the background that I had in music too. I appreciated mm-hmm. classical music. I was exposed to opera a little bit through that. Mm-hmm. So I had the appreciation and and saw the value in it. But yeah, my parents loved it. They fostered that that passion. My dad got season tickets to the Detroit Opera House. And mm-hmm. um, we would go regularly together. It was, it was great.
0: And little known fact, even though we've been married now for four and a half years, I still have yet to hear you sing any (laughs) opera or really much of any other type of singing either.
1: (laughs) I mean, from my perspective, the way I think about it is it's kind of like, it's kind of like lifting weights, like deadlifting, right? So if your muscles aren't trained, it's not going to sound as good. And why would I expose you to that?
0: (laughs) Right. But just because I can't deadlift... 300 pounds like I used to it's be able fair. to doesn't mean I shouldn't deadlift That's anymore. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> throw that one right back at you. So one of these days I'll hear you sing. Deal. <laughs> uh, okay. So you're an opera singing skateboarder. Mm-hmm. How on earth did you end up? I mean, we met the next stage of your life is in college. University right. of Michigan is where we met. And there you ended up studying pre medicine. But how on earth did you end up going from opera and skateboarding to looking at a career in medicine?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, wanted to continue that interest in, in music. Mm-hmm. So I applied to the University of Michigan for music school, auditioned, didn't get in, which was great because, um, Well, prior to that, I, my dad wanted me, my parents wanted me to explore other career options. Um, So we had a friend that was a doctor, and I ended up shadowing him. He was an electrophysiologist, so I went to the cath lab with him, with him, and saw him do some procedures, and ended up falling in love with it. So I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, this is something that's that's interesting to me. And around that time, I also was applying to music school. Okay, didn't get in, and thought, okay, now I have this option. I can either do you know, music in a non-major, mm-hmm. um, pursue it in one way or another, maybe perhaps as a minor, um, or I can do medicine or, um, I could do both. Mm-hmm. And the more I looked into the medical side of things, um, I really loved it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of took over the music side of things. And the more I realized kind of what it takes to get into medical school, the research mm-hmm. I had to do, and then also where my passions led me, um, I found that I really had to pursue the medicine side of things more.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I would say that's pretty classic to your personality of you're all in on something. So once right. you, once you sort of change your trajectory, you're leaving everything else behind and you're just all in.
1: Yeah. Sometimes so. to a detriment, but. <laughs>
2: I
0: can see that happening for sure. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. But yeah, so I, I started doing, you know, research doing my pre-med classes at the university of Michigan and eventually um, Wanted to share that passion for research with other folks. I became a, um, a resident advisor, in RA, mm-hmm. um, in one of our dorms. It was a special community because it was focused um, around research, mm-hmm. and individuals in that community were required to do research. They had special, you know, support to to make that happen. Um, but it was actually in the same building as another program mm-hmm. um, called Women in Science and Engineering, where yep. you were a resident. <laughs>
0: we're super nerds. Yeah, that's how we met. And in that's a, how we're met. in a dorm for engineering, science, research nerds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our it's secret true. is out. <laughs> but yeah. you loved research. I think that's one of the first things that I learned about you was you were very passionate about research early on mm-hmm. in college. And I think a lot of a lot of students will do research in college because it's something that they "quote unquote" have to do or have on their resume to. Right boost up their resume to apply to medical school, but you were really, really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting how it's sort of come full circle because the early research you were doing had to do with nutrition.
1: Right. So, I mean, in full disclosure, I actually started doing the research because I thought that's what I had to do
0: oh. to get into medical school. That's how all good things start. But
1: <laughs> I ended up falling in love with it. Um, uh-huh. Kind of like the opera thing. You're like, yeah. oh, let's see what happens. Um,
0: I like it. You have good faith. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it was, it was good. I mean, I, I studied um, really cherries Mm -hmm. and blueberries and their antioxidant content and how they affect um, really different models. So we looked at cell cultures, we looked at animal models, and Mm -hmm. there was some clinical trial work as well that I was helping with. So it was a great experience because it allowed me to do some bench work and then Mm -hmm. some clinical research as well. um, Thanks to... The amazing people at the University of Michigan. Shout out to Mitch Seymour.
0: <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, this was after we met. We didn't meet here, but the lab that I was working in was actually right immediately next door to your right. lab. So, you know, it was just meant to be. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if if uh, not sooner than later, you know. Yeah.
0: So we disclosed that we met in the Nerd Dorm for women in science and engineering and Michigan yes. research community. And I, get asked this question all the time about mm-hmm. how we met and I tell the story all the time, but I really want to hear your side of the story here on the podcast.
2: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so I. So the nice thing about our community where we were um, living is that they had lots of different spaces to study mm-hmm. and pretty much like mini libraries. It was really great. Um, and one of these areas had um, kind of a place where we all would, would gather there were mm-hmm. some windows and I would always see you study. You'd see me study. So we saw each other through that. Um, I always saw
0: you with your MCAT books.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then we had some mutual friends,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which, uh, also shared a passion for Gray's Anatomy.
2: And
0: which I, I don't think either of us really shared much of a passion for Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. I think I had watched it, I watched it religiously when I was in high school. Okay. And then I kind of stopped watching all TV once I started college. <laughs> so <laughs> again, all in. <laughs> yeah. So I would go, you know, here and there, it would be like, oh, everyone's getting going to mm-hmm. this person's room to watch Grey's Anatomy. So I'd hop in just mm-hmm. for an episode here and there. But I don't think either of us really were all that into Grey's Anatomy, unless yeah. you were. <laughs>
1: Uh, no, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, no, but you know, our friends, you know, mm-hmm. loved it. And we, we, we would always get together to watch an episode. Yeah. And one day, um, I was, you know, I, I met you through that, but then one day, um, I think you were studying for a, was it a biochemistry? Well, first guy? you
0: pulled up the crossover.com when we right. were watching Grey's Anatomy.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. So we were watching Grey's Anatomy. And I was looking at the dot-com for the next day, mm-hmm. looking for what the workout is. Which I distinctly
0: um, remember. I can still picture that computer and you yes, pulling it up.
1: It's the main site with the the <laughs> yellow back. you Yeah, know, the, the, the old version of the main the, site. The original. But yeah, I was looking for the workout for the next workout for the day and, and was flipping through it. And then you said, well, what is that? Mm-hmm. I you know, Tell me a little bit more about that. So I told you all about CrossFit and... You know, I found out later that you were really excited about it because <laughs> you'd been looking for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how I think you discovered, first discovered CrossFit was was there. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and so it wasn't that long after that that we, this was also for context, this was spring of 2000 nine or so. Yeah. And you had been doing CrossFit for a little while just Mm -hmm. in our school rec center. So how did you find out about it originally?
1: So I found out about it kind of indirectly. I was, it was around the time that that movie 300 came out Mm -hmm. and there was this 300 workout circulating around the internet. So I started doing that. Um, And then one of the ROTC guys um, came up to me at the, at our local kind of um, college gym Mm -hmm. and said, Oh, it looks like you're doing, Crossfit Have you heard of crossfit before i said well no i haven't heard of it but i'll certainly check it out mm-hmm. so i went to the dot com and and checked out crossfit and um it's a very you know typical story i did fran for the first for the first time uh, as my first workout mm-hmm. um took me you know a long time over 10 <laughs> minutes doing you know strict pull ups and using uh uh, regular steel plates and then dropping them every once in a while was probably really obnoxious. Mm -hmm. And then of course spent, you know, a couple minutes in front of a trash can and, uh, gosh, not, not the best way to start CrossFit. I, you know, I would not recommend that to anyone today. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Fran is your first workout unsupervised. Right. Right. That's a college way to do it. It
1: is a total bro thing to do. Just kind (laughs) of try to muscle through it, but it was great. Um,
0: I still remember working out in that gym too. We would where, I mean, we joined the gym not that long after the CrossFit affiliate, but there was a couple of times where we would go and do workouts there in between classes. And I still remember one time doing the San Francisco Crippler. Do you remember that? I think I so can't the one remember. Where we had
1: to run from downstairs to upstairs. Yeah. Cause there was a, I want to say, I don't remember the weights,
0: but it's 30 back squats yeah. and then a one K row. I'm yes. pretty sure. Always and so row, we right. had to run from the squat rack all the way downstairs to mm-hmm. the rower and you were like, legs were on fire. <laughs> um, good times. Anyways, oh, that's a good one. sorry. So anyways, we, you had been doing it for a little while. Yeah. You told me about it. Mm-hmm. We started dating. Mm-hmm. I was, I was obviously interested in you too <laughs> and, and in CrossFit. Um, and then we started going to our local gym, but how did you first know that I was interested in you as well.
1: Well, I'll let you tell this story because you tell it so much better than I do. No,
0: no, no, you can tell it.
1: Okay. Fair enough. So
0: I don't think it, we've told this story before. I always I tell know. the other part, but sure. This is embarrassing.
1: It's not that mostly embarrassing, embarrassing for me. Okay. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but so I had this, um, this whiteboard that I was using to study a lot, you know,
0: remember we're super nerds. We live in the super nerd. It's true.
1: Super nerd. Um, But it was great, you know. I had my little whiteboard that I would write out my biochemical pathways, and that's how I'd memorize things. And you were studying for a biochemistry exam, I believe. I was. And we're looking for a way to get my attention. (laughs) And saw that I had this whiteboard and said, hmm, why don't I borrow his, why don't I borrow his, or at the suggestion of a friend, actually, why don't I borrow his whiteboard? And um,
0: it was a twofold reason. I really did want to use the whiteboard. (laughs) (laughs) and it really did help me study, but it was also an excuse to come talk to you. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, it worked, but yeah, you borrowed my whiteboard and we, (laughs) we started, yeah, we started talking and hanging out.
0: Yep. And then it was really nice because that was spring of 2009. And so then actually this, that summer Mm -hmm. we both stayed in Ann Arbor for the summer. So it was a really great time. First Ann Arbor in the summer is amazing. Right. But second, we were able to actually spend a lot of time together and kind of start a relationship, which was really, really nice. And of course we also joined the CrossFit affiliate. Yes. And so that was our first summer really going to the gym, which was called HyperFit USA.
1: Right. Right. Very special place.
0: Yes. And, um, you were studying for the MCAT, I believe. I was. That summer. Yep. And I think, you actually ended up postponing your test a little bit because we were spending too much time hanging out and not enough time We were laying studying. the foundation
1: for this amazing relationship that we had. I know. Yes. Well, yeah. I
0: appreciate your patience because <laughs> uh, I'm sure I was trying to distract you from studying. It was
1: worth it. <laughs> yeah. And everything turned out okay.
0: Everything turned out fine. Yeah. So yeah, you were studying for MCAT. I was doing research that summer. And you ended up taking the MCAT. And then, so at that point you had already decided that you wanted to apply to med school, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, when, when did you know? So your major in undergrad was microbiology. Correct. You said, you mentioned you had sort of had this early bug of shadowing uh, your dad's friend when you were in high school, but when did you know that you actually wanted to go to medical school? And that's, how you wanted to direct your career rather than doing research or doing something else related to the health sciences?
1: Yeah. So I think it was, it coincided with me picking my major. Okay. Um, I was debating between actually like sociology. I was really interested in sociology, took some sociology classes, but then I realized I was, wanting to take a lot of the medical sociology classes. Okay. Um, took this really amazing class actually about childbirth in Scandinavian countries and how what a great job they do over there. Wow. Uh, which I the would have classes never expected. That
0: You get to take in college. I yeah. wish I could go back and take more of it. Yeah. Them. <laughs> it was incredible.
1: But yeah, so then I noticed I was like, okay, a lot of, you know, a lot of medical, more medical focused uh, classes. And then I kind of got to the point where I thought, okay, I really like biochemistry. I really like microbiology. Maybe I'll do a cellular molecular biology. Major. And then I looked at microbiology and got really passionate about that. And then, really, I think the spark was when I started doing all my immunology classes for mm-hmm. my microbiology major. And I said, okay. This is amazing. This oh, is yeah. so interesting. Um, I want to learn everything there is about immunology. And that kind of solidified and said, Okay. Oh my gosh, there's a career for this. It's called mm-hmm. medicine. You should do this. you know it's like um it became very, very obvious. obviously I knew that before when I was doing all that research, but right. that just like really solidified it uh, when I found this amazing world of immunology
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so knowing that, did you have some idea of what type of specialty you wanted to practice? Did you want to be an immunologist or how did you what did you think when you were starting med school about what you wanted to be?
1: I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do in terms Mm -hmm. of a specialty. Um, I thought you were
0: going to be a surgeon.
1: Right. No, but once I got to medical school and I I got exposed to to transplant, transplant surgery, um, I thought it was really, really interesting. So I I knew I wanted to do something in immunology, something Mm -hmm. with microbiology and something with with my hands, you Mm -hmm. know, because of the ramps that I built and the research that I was doing. So
0: I I really thought, I didn't even think about the the immunology part of it, but even just knowing you in that time, Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to be a surgeon 100% just because you were very, it just seemed like the right fit. Right. You liked to fix things. You like to do things with your hands. You like to be sort of like have a problem. Mm Mm-hmm fix it with a solution and move on.
1: Right. But, but not very different. <laughs> but now a lot has
0: changed. Medical school will yeah, do that to you. right? You go right. in thinking you want to do one thing and you come out yeah. doing something completely different.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll continue the story. I, you know, I, I got to medical school,
2: mm-hmm.
1: learned about this field called transplant surgery and said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is exactly what I want to do. And became more involved with the transplant folks um, at Cleveland Clinic and, mm-hmm. The amazing thing about Cleveland Clinic is that it's such a small school and a lot.
0: Yeah. Which we should talk about because you almost didn't apply.
1: Yes, that's true. So think again. Thanks. To, so many good things happened because <laughs> of you. It's just incredible. Well, likewise,
0: uh, <laughs> it's been a good relationship.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was applying to all these different medical schools and I was actually looking at MD, PhD programs too, because of my passion for research and, there was this. I was applying to Case Western University here in Cleveland, Ohio, and there was this tiny little checkbox um, about you know that had an additional application that you know allowed your. There was essentially another application for another mm-hmm. program within Case Western University's uh, School of Medicine, which was the Learner Program, the Learner College of Medicine, which is a program that um, is pretty much housed at the Cleveland Clinic in mm-hmm. partnership with Case Western, which has a one-year research component. But I was like, I am so over filling more filling out more applications. I you know, had to write a couple more essays. I had a couple, of, if a couple, you wanted couple to apply essays. to essays. Exactly. And I was like, I'm so over this. And then you said, Why don't you do this? Come on, you're gonna regret it if you don't. So I did.
0: Mm-hmm. And You're welcome.
1: It was such a great idea because when <laughs> I went to interview there, it had such an amazing experience. I know. When you came
0: back from that interview, you were so
1: excited. I actually closed, you know. You know I, I knew that I wanted to go there, and as soon as I got my acceptance there, I closed all my other applications, mm-hmm. knowing that you know that is exactly what I want to do, and that's exactly the program that I've been looking for.
0: but it's a really small program,
1: yeah anyway, really small program thirty two students um, everyone's on scholarship, which is an amazing blessing because then you're not kind of thinking about loans in the back of your mind uh, when when you choose a specialty
2: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah, really small and that small program allows us to really integrate nicely into different Departments, you get really close relationships with different physicians, different mentors, mm-hmm. and um, I got linked up with the transplant program and started working with them in a bunch of different capacities. One one way was I was doing research with them, you know, doing some clinical work, um, and then also some translational work later, which we can talk about. But um, also shadowing. Mm-hmm. So I went on transplant runs with them in the, in the middle of the in night, in the
0: middle of the night in a tiny airplane, which is terrifying to me. <laughs> I would never volunteer to do that.
1: It was great. You're crazy. It was really, really nice. Cause you know, I went with them and they allowed me to partake in some of the, the harvesting procedures, which mm-hmm. was really, really fun from both kind of, you know, getting to work with your hands, but being able to hang out with these people and mm-hmm. ask them about their lives and what it's like to be a transplant surgeon it gave me pretty good insight into what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an an incredible experience <clears throat> to do that um, as a medical student, mm-hmm. as a first and second year medical student.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, got linked up with them. Um, and
0: You really thought you were going to do transplant surgery. I was
1: convinced I was going to mm-hmm. be a transplant surgeon. I was like, this is it. Mm-hmm. I love this. This is so neat. Um, ended up applying for a grant um, with the NIH for our research year, our acquired mm-hmm. research year for our program. Ended up getting that grant. Um, and did uh, an extension of a project that was already running. So the project that my lab was doing was um, we were essentially doing warm perfusion of livers where traditionally you were putting livers on ice mm-hmm. and then transporting them and then putting, warming them back up and putting them into a person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was really, really kind of a, an area for a lot of innovation because mm-hmm. we've been doing it for so long. So what we were doing is we were hooking them up to a machine and then providing the liver with blood and nutrients so that we could Mm -hmm. assess the organ in transit, Mm -hmm. which is really powerful because it allows us to assess the organ as well. So if it's, you know, sometimes we implant livers and they don't work out and then it's a whole nother operation. It's really risky. It's Mm -hmm. quite dangerous. So by us being able to assess the liver in transit, we can get a sense of if it's going to be successful in the person. Mm -hmm. And the idea was also that eventually we'd be able to resuscitate that organ. Mm -hmm. So some organs are damaged. Maybe the donor is unhealthy or the donor has been, um, yeah, the donor has been unhealthy. So we need to, Mm -hmm. you know, figure out a way to to bring it back if you will and expand the donor pool. Mm -hmm. Um, so we did some work with, I did some work with that, helped with that project. And then I was tasked with kind of setting up a similar program for kidneys Mm -hmm. and kidneys also have a similar, um, preservation kind of protocol we put them you know on 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 ice if you will and I started doing the initial experiments for warm perfusion of kidneys with the same concept as the liver, mm-hmm. uh, where we'd want to be able to assess the kidney and potentially resuscitate it. Um, so I did a lot of um, harvesting actually from animals. Mm-hmm. We would go down to our robotic training lab for surgeons at the Cleveland Clinic, harvest those organs, develop a protocol to resuscitate or assess those kidneys. Um, so it was really great because I was able to combine you know, the technical skill of harvesting the organs, um, but also, you know trying to set up protocols. It was very cerebral Mm -hmm. in that sense and very innovative, Um, really, really interesting experiments. The thing that I, you know, look back at now, I mean, I'm not a transplant surgeon now, obviously, Mm -hmm. but the thing that I really took away from that experience was this, this attitude that, that you, failure is kind of more of a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to make a decision to fail. At least when it comes to kind of academia, because you mm-hmm. could always keep trying, you keep trying something new all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And w- my mentor, um, Dr. Cristiano Quintini, um, he, you know, we had lots of discussions about how to design certain experiments. Whenever something would go wrong, you know, when I was naive and I was, you mm-hmm. know, in the beginning of the process, I would say, "Gosh, I can't figure this out." You know, this this, this must not work. Uh-huh. We we got to find it another way, or you know, th- this just isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And he would say, "Come back to me in three hours with." Different potential solutions. Mm-hmm. This is this is possible. We're going to discuss it. So I'd have to walk back, you know, from his mm-hmm. office back to the lab, and figure out different solutions, uh, different things that we could try. And um, that is what we did. Yeah. Kind of an iterative process. And that, you know, it taught me this this concept that you might not have the answer, but you can keep trying things, trial and error, go and go. And mm-hmm. it sounds like a very, you know, elementary lesson, but it was something really, really powerful to me. That's kind of an attitude that I bring towards everything that we do now. Yeah. Be it you know medicine, our business, the care of our patients. It's just you just figure it out. You got to come up with solutions. There's no giving up. And
0: you can always take a step back and take a fresh exactly. look and approach it from a new angle. Exactly. That's a huge lesson.
1: So. So you were
0: yeah. So you were obviously huge life lesson there, regardless of whether or not you continued with transplant mm-hmm. surgery. But then. Eventually, you went on, you did your clinical rotations, you did your surgery rotation, mm-hmm. and then you started to figure out that, hey, maybe surgery isn't exactly what I wanted to do. So yeah. can you take us through that? Because it was a that was a tough process. I think for anyone going through a big life decision, as you do in that phase of med school, where you have to decide, what specialty do I want to practice? Mm-hmm. Or anyone else in any other transitional period in life it's really uncomfortable it's really unsettling not to have a clear path ahead so take us through sort of what you went through in that period and how you ended up in family medicine the best specialty of them all right
1: <laughs> so i as you said went through my rotations and got a taste for what it's like to be a surgeon mm-hmm. you know very very small taste you know, in terms mm-hmm. of the rounding and and the you know the the responsibilities that are involved in that um, and had other interests outside of medicine as well. I was, you know, we we were in Cro- involved in CrossFit yeah. during medical school. Um, we actually went to the games and.
0: Which actually people may not know about you. You have competed at the CrossFit Games. That's true. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to bring it up.
1: This is true. Yeah.
0: So tell us about when did you compete in the CrossFit Games?
1: 2011. 2011. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll take a little, you know, a little, little detour. detour.
0: We'll come back to the family medicine story.
1: Yeah, so a little detour. Um, so Julie and I, you know, we started training the exact same. We did the exact same programming. We did for years. Two thousand nine summer. And for some reason, you just whew, just took <laughs> <hung> off. <laughs> just gifted genetically. It um, was
0: different times. Yeah, I don't
1: know. just unbelievable. Um, but yeah, we did the exact same training, and I went to. I was a year ahead of you. Yeah. So, so you
0: went, went on to the.
1: Yeah, I went. Medical to, school I went Cleveland. to medical school. You, you were still in school at the University of Michigan, and we were training. You know, I was coming back actually all the time to train with uh, mm-hmm. at, at HyperFit, um, and we made a team. Mm-hmm. And because I was coming back all the time, we, it kind of worked out that I was spending enough time in Ann Arbor and training enough in Ann Arbor that we were able to create a team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, we took a team to the 2011 regionals. Um
0: so that was the year that I so I had competed at the games in two thousand ten and yeah. that year the top five got a automatic yep. invite to the two thousand eleven game. So right. I already had my invite, so right. I got to compete with you guys at Regionals. Yeah. So we
1: had a team at Regionals, um, which was great. Um, so much fun. I still remember some of the workouts we did together. It's yes. Very fond of.
0: Some yeah. of our best friends. <laughs> and uh and we got to do Team Amanda together, which was super yeah. fun.
1: That was really cool. Mm-hmm. We set a world record in that for like we five did minutes at until. The time. The... <laughs>
0: no, it was actually it stood for a little while, and then oh, did I think okay. it was the invitational a few years later that.
1: Oh, okay. Broke it,
0: mm-hmm. sure. Anyways.
1: Anyways, yeah. So you know, we did that, and then we qualified for the games, <clears throat> and my my buddy um, Johnny, who was in the Navy at the mm-hmm. time, couldn't make it to the CrossFit Games, mm-hmm. so we had to get another person to fill in, and then you were. Um, competing as an individual, so we had another person fill in for that spot as well, but we were able to compete at the CrossFit games, which was again a wonderful experience, something I'll remember forever. I still remember this finishing the last workout in the stadium mm-hmm. um and just you know t- being able to take a step back and 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 look at everyone. It was just the most amazing feeling and it's interesting because it allows me to relate to kind of your experience at the games multiple times and to kind of think about, gosh, what is she feeling when she's there obviously to a very small degree. Uh, no, but it was thing. It was powerful.
0: That tennis stadium was really cool. It was the I best. was just thinking about that the other day, looking at some pictures and it was just a really special venue. Really special. It was really, really cool. So yeah. I'm glad you got to have that experience too. Yeah. So anyways, um, back to yeah, family so, medicine. Yeah, so How I, did you get to family medicine? I obviously medicine? had a lot
1: of other interests, mm-hmm. um, in medical school. So CrossFit being probably the major interest. Mm-hmm. Um, Major interest besides going to medicine, uh, into medicine, um, and realized that, you know, being a surgeon and being the type of surgeon that I wanted to be, it was going to be hard to juggle a lot of my other interests because I knew I wanted to do something with CrossFit eventually. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand how to make that. There was that- a
0: point in time where you almost dropped out of medical school to start a CrossFit
1: affiliate. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> we actually were looking at Talk spaces. About,
0: talking about going all in, I had to pull you off the edge of the cliff on yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Because I saw that, okay, you know, this was, again, part of my personal growth. I thought, okay, I'm going to be a surgeon. I'm going to be a surgeon. If I'm not going to be a surgeon, I'm not going to do medicine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I love CrossFit. So if I'm not going to do medicine, I'm going to be a CrossFit coach. Mm-hmm. Because I saw the power in that. Mm -hmm. Um, So you, you know, pulled me back from the ledge and said, you know, let's think about this a little bit. There's other specialties besides surgery. And around that time too, we, um, we took a trip, my family and I took a trip to Nicaragua Mm -hmm. and that was probably a big turning point because I saw the people there suffering from the exact same diseases as people were suffering from here. Mm -hmm. And this was in the midst of my kind of quarter life crisis or Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it.
0: Uh and by that you mean chronic disease like chronic so related-
1: disease yeah disease. chronic disease diabetes high blood pressure um all the obesity all the mm-hmm. diseases of of you know of our diet really mm-hmm. and, and our inact inactivity and i thought okay this is obviously a global problem mm-hmm. um and where do I want to sit in terms of the solution? Do I want to be at the very end of the spectrum mm-hmm. where we're transplanting organs because of fatty liver disease, or do I want to be able to prevent those things from happening in the first place? So then I came back, tried to find a way to combine you know, a surgical and kind mm-hmm. of primary care flair type of specialty and got interested in ENT mm-hmm. um, and then eventually thought, okay, I'll have to, I have to check out the other primary care specialties as well. Mm-hmm. So I looked into internal medicine and then did, did a, a, an elective at family medicine at the Cleveland clinic and kind of a week into that. I th- I thought this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what I would want to do. Didn't realize until then really that I, I really loved the longitudinal piece of things, mm-hmm. you know, being able to forge relationships with people, um, talk to them about diet, nutrition, all the things that I love talking about in the CrossFit. Yeah. Gym, I was like, well, Gosh, they're doing this a lot in a specialty in medicine. This is really great. So, you know, that that kind of caused me to shift my trajectory to to family medicine, really. Um, not to say that I don't still love transplant. You know, we we joke that if, you know, if there was 36 hours, 48 hours in a day, I'd probably be a transplant surgeon, do all the other stuff mm-hmm. on the side too. Um, but you know, medicine really was a is a, a family medicine was a great way to kind of combine a lot of the interests that I had in. Mm-hmm in CrossFit or aspects of CrossFit or lifestyle, mm-hmm. uh, lifestyle. I don't want to call it lifestyle medicine, but prevention from using lifestyle factors, yeah. um, and, uh, everything else. So,
0: and it all comes back around. It all comes full circle because you're still, even now, We think about how much are we thinking about the immune system and what we do and how much the immune system plays into our overall health and our ability to fight off disease and chronic disease and everything else. So even going back to your original interest in immunology, it's still something that you can
1: continue to foster. Absolutely. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about functional medicine around, you know, when we were in medical school um, Mark Hyman came to the Cleveland mm-hmm. Clinic during um, a grand rounds and announced with Toby Cosgrove that they were launching this Center for Functional Medicine. Mm-hmm. And you and I had heard of it before, but really didn't understand it too much. What it exactly was? And we went to those grand rounds and mm-hmm. learned all about functional medicine and what it is, and that it's very much a root cause approach to to diseases, really looking at lifestyle factors, genetics, immunology, mm-hmm. and everything. Looking at the whole person as a as a as a system. Mm-hmm. And you know, I argue that you know it's probably the way that most doctors think anyway. But this provided really a nice framework on how to implement that from a from a kind of actual visit in an actual visit and actually how to carry it out. But
0: and I would back up to say it's maybe not how most doctors think anyway. I would say it's how most doctors would like to think or how they were trained to think, right? Um, but unfortunately, the system that we're in doesn't really allow us to think that way a lot of the time that's
1: true, yeah, that's true. I always joke that you know this is the way doctors were taught in medical school, yeah, and now that you know this the way that the system is de- developed mm-hmm. and the way it is now it doesn't allow them to practice that way, like you said um, but yeah, so functional medicine you know we were we were introduced to that during this this grand rounds and that for me also solidified the decision to to pursue family mm-hmm. medicine or primary care specialty because mm-hmm. it allowed me to really be analytical, um, and also integrate this passion for immunology mm-hmm. as well. So it was kind of a everything really came to a head at a very in a very short period of time. Kind of this this trip to Nicaragua. Mm-hmm this kind of struggle with um, what kind of specialty I wanted to, to partake in and then the introduction of of functional medicine to the Cleveland clinic.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm
0: glad you finally came around Yeah. because for people listening, I knew I was going to do family medicine really early on. And I knew that Danny would, I I honestly, I didn't know that you would come around. I didn't know family medicine was really the right fit for you, Mm -hmm. but I'm glad that that's what you figured out because it's really fun to do it together. It's true. Instead of doing two separate unrelated careers. Right. It's a lot of fun. Right. So I came, I still can't believe this as you're talking about sort of the Center for Functional Medicine starting and us being in Cleveland. I still can't believe that it all ended up the way that it did because <laughs> I, like you mentioned, I was a year behind you in undergrad. So you had moved to Cleveland. I was sort of commuting back and forth for that year. Mm-hmm finishing college, and then I was applying to med school. And throughout really every step of the process, I've been behind you and I've been sort of following in your footsteps. But I was always, I'm very stubborn and very adamant about making my own decisions and not necessarily just following in your footsteps. And so I appreciate all the patience that you've had with me over the years as I've gone through the process of applying to med school. And then the same thing with residency and letting me make my own decision, even though I ended up coming to the same decision as you. turns out you make good decisions.
1: We make good decisions. We
0: make good decisions. But anyways, I ended up shockingly also getting into the Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine, which I would not have expected, just based on odds alone, the fact that it's such a small school. And I think about this all the time. I don't know what would have happened because I probably wouldn't have otherwise moved to Cleveland. I probably would have gone to another school just based on economics and, you know, where else I had applied and got into. So it's amazing. I mean, I think we were (laughs) meant to end up in Cleveland and then the fact that the Center for Functional Medicine came here really opened our eyes to a whole different system for being able to practice good medicine. And then, the finding the residency program that we did and going into family medicine and staying here has been such a blessing because I think we have gotten amazing training all around.
1: Right. Right. And the opportunity to rotate through the center for functional Mm -hmm. medicine as, as residents, it's very, very special.
0: It's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Someone's got to be behind this. There's got to
0: be a plan. (laughs) So after you graduated from residency about a year and a half ago, Mm -hmm. And you decided that you were gonna do something a little bit different. So right now you're actually practicing primarily online, mm-hmm. but still doing primary care. So can you tell people a little bit about what you do there?
1: Yes. So there's a big boom for telemedicine right now. Most people know telemedicine in the in the sense of urgent care. So mm-hmm. teledoc, things like that. You gotta run your nose. You can talk to a doctor online for like fifty bucks or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The company that I work for called SteadyMD is kind of taken that to another level. Their their platform pairs you with a physician. That that physician kind of becomes your physician, your personal doctor. Mm-hmm. And you can talk to that individual, you know, have as many appointments as you need. There's no limit on appointments. You can text back and forth, and that doc is kind of like your 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 person, mm-hmm. if you will. And this concept of direct primary care, the direct Part is it refers to the payment model. And the way it works is similar to a gym membership. You pay a fee, typically around 70 to hundred or so bucks and that um, covers the visit cost. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what we're doing virtually. Covers the visit cost. So someone pays well, the company.
0: But it's a monthly fee, right? right? It's not it's not per visit.
1: Nope. It's not per visit. It's a monthly fee. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, you have something going on, it's a hundred bucks a month. If you got, you know, and you you need to see the doctor, you know, weekly for a month still hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't need that person, that's still hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. So that way um, it, it works out from a financial perspective for both the physician and the patient. And you remove all the red tape when it comes to billing for visits and things of that nature. The additional advantage of doing um, a payment model like that is that it allows the practice to negotiate prices with other labs mm-hmm. and get medications at a discounted price. So for, in, our, in our model, in our... Um, In our clinic, virtual Mm -hmm. clinic, if you will, um, we're able to get discounted prices for labs, oftentimes cheaper than if insurance truly did cover those labs. Now, people still have insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually, it's a higher deductible plan. So they have some sort of coverage for big catastrophic events, car accidents, cancers, things Mm -hmm. like that. But a majority of the stuff they pay for out of pocket. And really, I think that's the way a lot of medicine and and payment for medicine is, is going anyway, because... Healthcare is getting so expensive that most people are forced into high deductible plans anyway. So it's Mm -hmm. becoming a a cash market anyway. Right.
0: Whether you like it or not. I mean, someone's paying for it, whether it's you, whether it's your employer, whether you're paying extra out of pocket for a deductible. Yeah. It's coming from somewhere.
1: Yeah. But so what I do is I essentially have a clinic, a virtual clinic where I see patients from all over the country um, through this company, SteadyMD. And I have my, panel of patients that I communicate with every day. Um, they call me if anything comes up, we schedule appointments. I can order you know, labs, imaging, medications, just like a regular doctor in the office. Mm-hmm. And if they need a physical exam or some sort of specialist referral, I can send them to somebody local, but majority of things we can take, take care of virtually. And it, it really, it, it's a nice testament to what they always taught us in medical school and that, you know, the, the history is 99% of it. Mm-hmm. So by having more time, having, you know, an hour initial visits, 30 minute um, follow-ups, you can actually get a good history yeah. and you end up doing, I think a lot less testing and you might actually replace some of those physical exam um, maneuvers that you would need to do in the mm-hmm. clinic. At least that's my 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 take on it. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that since I graduated uh, full-time, but I was doing it as a, as a resident moonlighting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, The way this all started, the way I started working for them was they actually reached out to you Mm -hmm. um, because um, they saw your involvement in medicine, saw your involvement in the CrossFit world and said, wow, what a great partner this would be. And at that point, you were in your training where you couldn't quite see people unsupervised yet. So Mm -hmm. you referred them to me and I was more than happy to speak with them because they were interested in creating a virtual direct primary care practice for uh, CrossFitters, people who do functional fitness. Mm -hmm. So as a resident, I was able to... Build the first, you know, medical practice specifically geared towards CrossFitters, which talk about dream job, uh, right? Which was amazing to do that as a as a resident. Um, and, and
0: now you're living the dream. You have an office in our yes, CrossFit exactly. Affiliate that we're members of right.
1: So now I would work for them full time. My office is in in our local affiliate. If I if there's people close by that are part of the they kind of local and on the Stadium D platform, I'll mm-hmm. just see them in person. Um, but it's been really, really special. It's allowed me to kind of build a practice from scratch with an incredible team, certainly not doing it on my own. Um, and then our team, we've also been able to develop a fully virtual functional medicine practice, too, mm-hmm. where we can see folks from all over the country. Um, and that's grown to be something really, really special. Um, we've got, gosh, I think maybe like four or five docs in the functional medicine practice now mm-hmm. and, and dozens of doctors on um, kind of in the, in the lifestyle practice, as we call it, um, the non-functional medicine practice. So it's it's been really cool. Anyway, just really excited about this. As (laughs) you can tell, I think it's, it's a really amazing, um, concept. Mm -hmm. And I think one that's going to be, um, it's going to be more accepted and seem less kind of out there as we're doing more and more things online.
0: Absolutely. It's been a great experience for you. It's been cool for me to see you navigate one, just a different, a slightly different way of practicing medicine than you maybe were trained in with it being so based online, but two to have the flexibility to be able to spend more time with your patients. Cause I know that's one of the things both of us have always been frustrated with about our current medical system. And even in residency, even though we got more time with patients, you know, as residents, because we're learning, there still seems like there's not enough time to actually get to know your patients or get to work on these lifestyle behaviors with them that actually have so much of an impact on their long-term health. So it's been cool to see you be able to put that into practice.
1: That's powerful stuff. Yeah. I mean, you don't know how powerful it is until you actually have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, holy moly, most of the things yeah. that we treat in the office are, you know, curable or reversible <laughs> by lifestyle factors, right. at least in the early stages.
0: Right. Diet, exercise, sleep, Stress.
1: In
2: relationships. In relationships. Yeah.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about CrossFit Health because yeah. I have talked about it before on the podcast. I've interviewed Greg Glassman. Recently, we had uh, Michelle Moots as well as Jaros PT on to talk about some unique aspects in the CrossFit Health Initiative and how they're working with special populations or individuals with chronic disease or older individuals and applying the CrossFit principles to those populations. But you and I have both been around since the beginning of the announcement of CrossFit Health, which was in early 2018. And we both went to the very first CrossFit MDL1 seminar, which is essentially the same CrossFit Level level 1 seminar that happens around the world every weekend in multiple locations. But it was, you know, Greg, Glassman, the founder of CrossFit, decided to put these on for free for physicians a few times a year. So we went to the very first one. It was at the CrossFit Ranch location where the original CrossFit Games were held. And since then, we keep going back. So I've tried to go back to as many as I can in a teaching capacity on the seminar staff. And then now, simultaneously, these seminars are held at CrossFit HQ. And in the next room, they hold a conference, which is essentially a opportunity for people who've already been through the MDL one summer to come back and learn from some pretty amazing speakers that CrossFit brings in and you've been able to go to most of those conferences. So I'm interested in your perspective about how CrossFit health is evolved and what is happening from your sense in these conferences because I you know I love teaching the seminars but I also sometimes wish I could be in the conferences and hearing what's going on in the other room.
1: Yeah, so the goal of CrossFit Health, as I as I understand it, is it, there's multiple aspects mm-hmm. to it. One is to educate physicians on the CrossFit methodology, to see the power of that, the power of the movements, the ability to reverse chronic disease through CrossFit, mm-hmm. the CrossFit community, the communities within the gym, and you know the power of relationships. That's one thing, something that most people aren't exposed mm-hmm. to, and You know, physicians, unfortunately, I think have in general a pretty poor understanding of what CrossFit is, which then leads to the perception that it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. even though the evidence and the research shows the contrary.
2: And
0: even for, I think, the average person doing CrossFit, until you finally go through the level in seminar, it's hard to fully understand the scope and the purpose and the methodology behind what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it all makes sense in the gym, but there is so much more that that those are my favorite parts of the seminar, the theory lectures where you talk about the definition of CrossFit and what fitness is and what health is, mm-hmm. and why we do what we
1: do. Right. So that's the first part. Um, I think of what CrossFit Health is trying to accomplish. The second piece is trying to bring to light the corruption within medicine, and it's something that you know you're certainly not taught in medical school. It's and the, the way that they're presenting that is by inviting a lot of very very prominent speakers and having them talk about that. Mm-hmm. And they do that from multiple different perspectives. The one perspective is is teaching the physicians that attend these seminars on how to actually look at the literature mm-hmm. by providing examples of corruption in literature. Probably one of the most prototypical examples is the argument for statins mm-hmm. and the exaggerated benefits of statins. And then also talking about um, the nutrition, uh, using nutrition also as an example of, of corruption in science. So it's not that they're you know, trying to, you know, trying to stir people up and, and try to, you know, say like, oh, the medicine is so bad, but mm-hmm. they're really just trying to bring the truth to the surface to mm-hmm. see this is the state of medical literature. This is the state of medicine at this point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, you know, we're putting you all in one room. What are you going to do, do about, about it? it? <laughs> right. So that's exactly it. So the, it's really about arming physicians with the knowledge that, you know, CrossFit is this powerful uh, methodology that for, for good, for curing and reversing chronic disease, Mm -hmm. but also presenting them with the state of current medicine Mm -hmm. of the literature and and causing them to kind of question what they're thinking as well, or questioning what they've been taught Mm -hmm. and providing a forum for us to network on a pretty regular basis, kind of every three months or so. Mm
0: -hmm. And all this really came up because of Greg and CrossFit getting pulled into a lawsuit basically for some research that had fabricated data about cross injuries. And through that he it really opened his eyes to the influence of industry in a lot of the medical research and especially industries like the sugar industry, the soda industry, processed foods. I mean The level of corruption that he uncovered, I think, was very unsettling. And that's what sparked him to want to share this on a larger platform. And through that, he has been able to pull in some amazing experts and leaders in the field researchers, very prominent um, researchers and physicians at prominent universities from around the country or, or the world that come to these conferences to speak. And I know you've heard some of their stories of sort of coming up against these big forces like big pharma or big food and how difficult it is to actually get the truth out there.
2: Mm. Yep.
0: So
1: it's been eye opening from mm-hmm. from from my perspective because you know these are people that you and I very very much respect and mm-hmm. They come with really great data and still they're silenced. And it's just, it's really testament to kind of the forces that we're up against mm-hmm. to kind of hear these, these people's stories and what they had to overcome, you know, from a personal attacks and professional attacks. It's, it's, it's really, really unfortunate, but the, the, the talks have been incredible.
0: What do you say? So it sounds kind of crazy as we're mm-hmm. sitting here talking about it and it, Easily, already people think CrossFit is a cult, <laughs> and you hear about oh now all the they're getting all these doctors together in a room and teaching them about how data and science and everything is corrupted. Isn't it great? Yeah. What? <laughs> so what do you say to people who just think you're you know this is crazy? This is some sort of conspiracy theory. Why do you keep? Why do you keep going back?
1: Because it all makes sense. It all makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I I'm i very, I'm very skeptical. You're a very skeptical Very person. skeptical. Um, but they make good arguments. They present everything they say with data. Mm-hmm. It's You can't argue with data. It's it's black or white. You know, everyone, you can see the data. You can Although make it interpret-
0: as we as we've talked about, it's black or white, but you can manipulate it.
2: <laughs> sure.
1: Well, you can make it say what you want it to say yeah. by saying things that aren't necessarily true, mm-hmm. which is really what's been going on with a lot of the medical literature. Mm-hmm. You know, that's... That's one, you know, I think, I think if you really look at really what it is, is raw data. If you look at raw data, it's raw data It's mm-hmm. right there, but you can apply whatever statistical model you want to get it to say what you want. And, you know, it, it, yeah, right. So, but I think what they do is they really present, you know, to use that analogy, the raw data, mm-hmm. the, the raw data of the truth. And it's hard to argue with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've yet to find another opinion, you know, for, for everything that they present, for every fact that they present, I try to think, Okay is this true? Is it not true? And I look at the literature and I say, gosh, that is true. You know, mm-hmm. if, if they were presenting me with things that weren't true that, or if I actually looked at the, the, the reference and it wasn't true, then yeah, of course i become skeptical, but mm-hmm. so far they haven't let me down.
0: So you keep going back. Yeah. It's sort of unsettling as someone who is new for both of us who are new in our careers as physicians to have our eyes open to a lot of this because it's sort of, at least for me, it makes me, it, you you almost feel like you can't trust anyone or anything. And you think about the guidelines that we are following or the research that supposedly is informing those guidelines. And it really makes you question a lot of what we do mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. And it's it, you almost don't know where to turn to get good, sound right. advice.
1: It puts... It puts us primary care physicians in a really crummy place mm-hmm. because you know we are not cardiologists, we're not pulmonologists. Mm-hmm. We rely on a lot of these guidelines and things that we read you know on on reference in references right. on the internet and knowing that potentially that's not necessarily true is it puts you in a really tough place
0: and it's tough it's tough because you you have to know a little bit about everything, mm-hmm. like you said, we're not experts in any one area, so we can't possibly know all the research in all the different areas right. but um at least, you know, we know how to find what we need to know and we have specialists that we can rely on and then we can ask those questions. Right. Uh, But I think it is a little bit unsettling just to see the degree of corruption because especially thinking about, I mean, for you, you're in a a practice setting where you actually have a little bit more time with patients and more time to look things up when you have a question. But in a regular primary care practice these days in an employed situation, you're having to see 20 30 plus patients a day mm-hmm. 15 20 minute appointments and there really is no time to be able to go to the primary research and look things up yourself right. and so you really do have to rely on guidelines almost with some blind faith that that the guidelines are giving you the best information right
1: right and compound that with being you know a young physician that's hasn't been doing this for 30 years you know it's even it's even more challenging cuz you mm-hmm. you you're trying to build a foundation and now you're learning from CrossFit this foundation might be you know crumb crappy at best mm-hmm. it, it puts you in a difficult spot but i think this relates back to the mission of CrossFit health is kind of get the corruption out of medicine so that we can create some guidelines have some resources that are truly mm-hmm. evidence based and and are um are um you know, not, not corrupted, but are clear Mm -hmm. that really present the data in a way that isn't manipulated, that, you know, is more transparent. That's the word I'm looking for. That's more transparent.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to go into some listener questions because we did have some great questions that were submitted on social media when I said that we were going to do this interview. And Mm -hmm. I think the first one will be a great question for us to get into some big announcements that we have. Okay. <laughs> so this question is from Jaws 36 and they say, how do you know if your doc really gets the performance slash fitness lifestyle and is giving you advice based on that perspective versus just typical generalist medical advice about training over training or nutrition? If they don't, where can I find someone who gets it?
1: Yes. Um. So that's that's a really, really great question and one that we get all the time. Yes. Um, It's
0: a fantastic question. And I think one that almost everyone who cares about their health and who's doing some of their own research and some seeking out their own advice or their own expert expert advice in this area mm
2: -hmm.
0: will have. Because I think especially now when there's so much information available and through the internet, through social media there's a huge amount of distrust mm-hmm. for the medical system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, how do you know to answer that question? How do you know that, you know, physician, that that's the kind of physician that, that, that you're, is that the kind of physician that you're looking for? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it comes down to asking that doctor about, their openness to new ideas? Are they, are they curious? Are they willing to entertain new ideas or are Mm -hmm. they kind of rigid and kind of stuck in the things that they've been taught? Mm -hmm. I think that if if a physician is curious, Mm -hmm. they're going to have your best interest at at heart. And it might not be that right off the bat, they know what you're talking about. They might be like, well, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that supplement. What are you talking about? But if they're like, Hmm, interesting. Tell me more about that. Let's look look into it. yeah And you know, my pay, my patients have taught me so much by 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 doing that and i think if you have a physician that is like that mm-hmm. that's going to open the door for a really fruitful relationship even if the starting point is you know w- very very distant from what you're hoping to mm-hmm. to to achieve um but that's that's the first thing i would say
0: i agree 100% because i think it has to be a two-way conversation mm-hmm. and to every you know physician patient relationship you as the physician bring some expertise the patient brings some expertise about their body and their experience and what works for them. And as long as you guys can always have a conversation and you can al- always understand each other's perspective and respect the information that you're getting both ways, exactly, you're going to be successful.
1: Exactly. It's totally a partnership. Mm-hmm. It's totally a partnership. I think gone are the days of, you know, this paternalistic medicine where, you know, You have this body of knowledge, and you bestow it upon the patient, (laughs) and you heal the patient, which is
2: absurd. It's just not reality.
1: It's just not reality. And look at where it's gotten us. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, partnership is just so critical. I think that that's that's probably the easiest way. You know, my hope is that one day we'll have a directory of CrossFit physicians as well,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and that might be a really easy way because you'll know that these people have you know gone through you know, similar things that you've gone mm-hmm. through, the level one, they understand the methodology. And you know, I think in CrossFit, it's hard to find crummy people doing CrossFit, or at least there's a lower proportion of crummy people out there. <laughs> I agree.
0: It self-selects for yeah. a certain certain characteristics. Right. Exactly. That's definitely true. But this, this question sort of also leads us into some big announcements that we have, because we realize that there is a huge gap between all the information you're getting from the fitness world and the wellness world out there and medical care. And a lot of people I think kind of just dip their toe in both sides and maybe they have a primary care doctor, that they go to and they get their screening tests every once in a while. And then they also go to their chiropractor or a naturopathic doctor or someone else
1: kind of in secret sometimes. Yeah. Too. And yeah. it's
0: like, they they're afraid to even tell each other that right. they're going. So, um, so we realize there's this huge gap and we've been living in both of these worlds. We've been living in the fitness world through CrossFit. We've been living in the medical world through our training for the past 10 years. And we see that there's a huge gap and we feel like that is really our purpose and our position is to fill that gap, to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. So that being said, today we are launching a brand new website, which is bringing together all of the different things that we've been working on over the past few years in such a way to help bridge that gap. So it started as, you know, I have my athlete website, which is very outdated, which I created when I was competing in the CrossFit Games as sort of a home base. And right now it hosts this podcast, but it's outdated. Uh, We also have been running the Train with Julie Fouché training program for the past four, four and a half years as well. And that's run through Beyond the Whiteboard, which we have loved, loved, loved doing. And we wanted to bring all those things under into one place and also expand what we're doing. So do you want to talk a little bit about some of the exciting things that people can find on the website?
1: Yeah. So it's going to be the home base for you know those, those two things that Julie described, um, but also it'll be a resource for where you can get great information that bridges the gap really between the fitness and the medical world to try to cut through some of the noise that's out there. Um, we're going to be publishing articles about common health topics, things like the flu. So make sure mm-hmm. to check out that blog post. Um, and then also um, also mini episodes. We're going to be introducing some of uh, the content that we publish in blog posts in audio format as well and publishing those um, in between the traditional uh, mm-hmm. pursuing health episodes. So or I'll else. still do
0: the interview episodes every other week. But mm-hmm. then on off weeks, these are additional content, additional bonus episodes, which will be our pursuing health pearls. And the goal is for them to be very short, actionable, 10 to 15 minute episodes on various health topics. So next week, you can look forward to a really quick one on cold and flu remedies, which is super timely right now because the flu has been really bad this season. Um, But other topics, basically every other week, just to get a little bit of information that hopefully will be enlightening for you. It's not medical advice, but it's information.
1: That's right. That's right. So in addition to that, we're also launching two different, we'll call them movement programs. So one is called the Morning Five. And if you've been following either Julie or I on Instagram over the last, I don't know, couple of months, we've been doing these Morning Five sessions, which are just five-minute movement sessions to prime your body for the day. It doesn't require any equipment, just body weight and maybe four by eight feet of, mm-hmm. of space. Um, and it's there for, for any ability level, really.
0: And that started really out of necessity for us. Mm-hmm. So we started doing that back in med school when we had really early rotations or we were sleep deprived and you discovered it actually, I think, <laughs> because we had an assault bike in our house and you would just hop out of bed at whatever, four or something in the morning and just hop on the assault bike and ride as fast as you could for five <laughs> minutes. And oh, oh, suddenly you're awake. <laughs> yeah. So we sort of took that and ran with it and... Some days it's something really intense to really get your blood flowing and get you to wake up like burpees. Some days it's just gentle stretching to get your body moving. But I have found it to be incredibly useful for transitioning into the day to preparing your body and your mind for the day. And it's something I know I've always naturally felt like was something that I should do on really important days. So for example, the day before a board or the day of a board exam, I would always wake up and do some sort of exercise even for a couple minutes just to get the blood flowing, to get my mind going, and I find that to be a really really great way to get into the day rather than what I used to do, just sort of roll over, turn on my phone, look at maybe emails, whatever came in overnight, then you're taking a hot shower, then maybe you're eating breakfast and you're driving to work and you're already feeling kind of sleepy. So, right. this has been a much, much better alternative. And I know you have done a lot more work in refining your morning routine. So, you actually have a few other steps to your process.
1: Yeah. So, the morning five is a critical component. Mm-hmm. Um, the other things that I really like doing are um, taking a cold shower mm-hmm. um, after we do the morning five. So, you know, Sometimes if you're doing you know 50 burpees for time, you'll get a little bit sweaty. <laughs> right. Which, so, but sometimes it's, it's
0: not always 50 burpees. I think the no, most we have is 20 or 30. Right. No. <laughs> Tani just got a little aggressive one day.
1: Yeah. So you know sometimes you can you know get a little bit warm. That cold shower feels good. But sometimes it's it's just a cold shower after that that stretching session that you know has some evidence behind it in terms of you know priming your body for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So that's another way that you know I kind of get my body going for the rest of the day. And then I spend. About, I would say it depends on the day, but five minutes um, doing some sort of prayer, five minutes doing some sort of meditation, and then finally doing five minutes of um, visualization, Mm -hmm. kind of running through the day. What does my ideal day look like? So by the time I'm done, that whole process maybe takes about 25, 30 minutes, but I've already gone through my entire day once in my head and and my body is ready to go.
0: And you've refined that. And I've noticed, especially... You know, it's harder, I think, in residency when your schedule is always changing month to month. But since you've graduated, you've really refined that and honed that morning routine, and I've noticed it's made a huge difference in your day to day life.
1: Yeah, huge. Honestly, it's made me much more, um, much more level. My energy level is a lot more level. I feel less reactive. I think that's more so the the result of the meditation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the prayer and the visualization. Um, I just I feel much more at ease just makes me a better person.
0: Absolutely. So we love our morning five. So we're excited to be able yeah. to offer that to all of you to join in with us. Um, but there's also another new workout program.
1: Yeah. Called train for life. Um, kind of play off the Julie's train with Julie Fouche mm-hmm. program. Um, and that is a 30 minute program, similar format to train with, with Julie Fouché, in that we provide you with a, a timer. And the workouts are shorter, so it's a thirty-minute training session, which includes a warm-up, a workout, and a cool-down, and limited equipment. So things like dumbbells, kettlebells, a jump rope, um, and then a pull-up bar mm-hmm. um, that you can kind of mount on on a door,
0: like a door-mounted pull-up bar. Exactly. So things that you could have for not much money at home, mm-hmm. or exactly. that you could modify, or at maybe a hotel gym or somewhere else. Exactly.
1: That you're exactly. The idea is that it's something that you know, anyone can do in their home and either, you know, if they're starting their first movement practice ever, Mm -hmm. we provide tons of modifications and scaling options uh, with a beautiful video library, but it's also a great option for those who just can't make it to the gym. Let's say they're really busy and they need to get a workout in. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I'm really, really excited about that. I think just the just for us to be able to have something to give to people with structure. Because I think yep. the hardest part for most people is we all know we need to exercise. We know what we need to do. But at the end of the day, it's about having something that fits into your life that's actionable, that you can do, right. that's structured. And so for us, those timers have been super helpful because you basically just press go and it walks you through the whole process. Um, and then And it also kind of came out of us, our frustration with seeing our own patients and not feeling like we had a good resource to send them to. And so this is what we built as a solution. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll of course still have the Trainings Julie Foucher program, which has been amazing. It's more of an advanced program for individuals who already have experience um, and have had some sort of instruction in in the movements and we'll continue to do that because it's been a really, really amazing experience Mm -hmm. and I love that community
1: that we've built. Right. So yeah, so we have those, those training programs, we have those blog posts, but also we'll have recipes as well. Mm -hmm. Um, we're publishing, you know, a new recipe every single month. Uh, Julie and I are big fans of trying to cook something new, uh, once a month. Um, so we wanted to share that with you guys as well. And then another piece that I'm perhaps, you I would say equally perhaps the most excited about (laughs) is, uh,
2: stories
1: (laughs) is stories. So, um, these are gonna. We're gonna have a. We have a section of the website where you can submit your your personal story and how you've used fitness or lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, and provide you with a platform to share that experience with other people. So you'll submit your story, and then if it's selected, we'll publish it as a blog post on the website, so you can share your experience with everyone else, and people can get inspired that by that too.
0: Mm-hmm. And that came out of you know the fact that I've. I love, that's part of why I started the podcast is because I love nothing more than hearing people's stories. And there are some incredible stories in our community of people who are overcoming really big challenges. And Mm -hmm. they're, they're using their lifestyle to maximize that buffer that they have against sickness. And so, unfortunately, we can't feature all of them on the podcast because I only do an episode every other week but this will allow us to collect more of those stories and publish more of them so that Mm -hmm. you can find people hopefully who maybe you have something in common with, that you connect with that hopefully can inspire you in some way. Mm-hmm. So on the the blog and podcast library, there'll be a way to sort with a bunch of different filters. So you could say, say you're looking for stories about type two diabetes or arthritis or eating disorders or addiction. There'll be filters so that you can pull up all of the content related to those specific conditions. Um, and maybe you send them to a loved one or maybe you use them for yourself for inspiration. So over time, we'll just continue to build on what we already have there. Exactly. I'm really, really excited about those. What else do we have on the website?
1: Oh, there is more. I feel like this is (laughs) kind of like an infomercial. There's more. (laughs) Um, Another great thing is, so we're also featuring a lot of discount codes from brands that we absolutely love. Do you want to talk a little bit more about why we're doing that?
0: Yes. So this is really big. And this is something that We spent a lot of time thinking about, talking about, deciding what we were going to do. So, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know, I am so grateful for all of the companies that I was able to work with as an athlete when I was competing in CrossFit. I had some amazing companies and amazing endorsement sponsorships that were with companies that I really believe in, that I still have great relationships with, that I love their products and their support was essential in supporting me to continue to compete in the CrossFit Games, supporting me through medical school, medical training. And I am so, so grateful for that. And over the last couple of years, we did have several companies sponsor the podcast with ads on the podcast. And same thing goes, all of the companies we've worked with have been top-notch people that we either know personally, that we already use all their products, that we've You know, can 100% vouch for that we believe in what they're doing. We're aligned with their mission. We use their products ourselves. But you may have noticed over the past seven months or so, we just stopped doing podcast ads. And that was an intentional decision. It was something that you and I have talked a lot about. And we thought about sort of this next step in our careers as now we're entering into our careers as physicians and what that means is not something that either of us take very lightly. And we really believe that we have to do everything we can to remain unbiased with our patients. Um, we want to foster trust with our patients, of course, but also with our general community. And so even though, even when I was running the podcast ads, even though they 100% were genuine, there was always something in the back of my head that worried that people listening were thinking, I wonder if she's only talking about this because they're paying her and they're, you know, giving her money to support the production of the podcast. And I would never want that to be a question in the future. And so what we've decided together is that from here on out, we're not accepting any money from industry. So that means no podcast ads. That means no endorsement agreements. It means no Instagram influencer ads. (laughs) You'll probably notice I have not posted any type of um, ads on my social media. It also means no affiliate accounts. So even there are certainly plenty of programs now where companies will give you a discount code and that will give a discount to the customer. But also on the back end will give you as a quote unquote influencer uh, percentage as well, and so even those things we're not comfortable with because we don't want to receive any money from companies.
1: Yeah, any form of compensation that might cloud our judgment.
0: Exactly. We still want to give you guys information, though, and we still mm-hmm. want to give you our opinion. So, you know, we're not we're not anti industry. We just don't want industry to form to cloud our judgment. So, exactly. We still think that there are amazing products and services out there that. Are making our lives better that we want to share with you and help you sort through the noise of what's good quality, what has good evidence behind it versus what might not be so helpful. And we don't want to be restricted in what we can say about any of these companies. We want to be able to give you our honest opinion. And we still want to direct you to things that we believe in and that we find helpful. So the compromise that we have decided on is that we are moving for the podcast to a subscription model. So it's a model that has worked for several other podcasts. Essentially, you all as listeners now have an opportunity to subscribe to support the podcast for the price of about an almond milk latte every month, <laughs> one of my favorite treats that I probably buy too much of. Um but I could sacrifice one a month and I do for other other podcasts that I support. Um but you have the opportunity to support the podcast and in doing so you will allow us to continue producing the podcast to continue to expand what we're doing to produce better content without having to rely on the support of companies
2: mm-hmm.
0: and as a result of that or as a perk of of supporting the podcast we will give you access to discount codes for companies that we believe in that we use, that we trust, that we've vetted ourselves. Um, but you'll get discount codes to those companies. You can still get some benefit, but there is a 100% guarantee that we are not getting any money from those companies on the back end. So all of the benefit is going to you. Um, and then you're sponsoring the podcast so that we're staying clear of any money from industry. So as a podcast subscriber, you will get access to those discount codes, which I'm already super excited about. A lot of the companies that are going to be providing codes that we've reached out to that are ones that we really love. And in addition, you'll also get access to our workout programs. So depending on the level at which you're subscribing, everyone will get access to the morning five, which we already talked about how much we love that and how beneficial we think that is. But if you're subscribing at higher levels, you could also get access to the other workout programs. Mm -hmm. So our goal is that, Every single month, you'll get more value back than you are putting in for what you're subscribing, whether it's through the discount codes, the programs, or anything else that you're using. All of the podcast content will still remain 100% free. And like I said, we're expanding the content already. So now we'll be having weekly episodes. That's all free. So even if you're not subscribing, don't worry. You're still going to get access to everything. Um, But we will have some other exclusive content for subscribers only so they'll have an opportunity to ask us questions and to listen to Q&As or ask us anything type episodes where we'll answer some some of the most top rated questions. So that's I think that I think I, think that's I covered everything. everything. Yeah. Did I miss did I leave anything out? <laughs>
1: no, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah.
0: It's just it's something that's super important to me. It's really near and dear to my heart and I I'm excited to be able to make that statement. And I think especially in today's world of social media, it's so easy to get enticed by doing some sort of sponsorship, some sort of influencer ad, some sorts of affiliate income, because maybe it's something that you could make money for here and there, but then it's a slippery slope. And once you, except doing one thing for something you really believe in. Now you're making a little bit of an excuse to do something for another company that you don't believe in as much. And next thing you know, you're promoting a product that really isn't the best. And we, we value our community so much that we really want to be able to give you good unbiased information. And we don't want you to ever have to question whether we're giving you advice just because we're getting paid because we're not going to be getting paid by anyone. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so that's what we have for our subscription program. Um, so we hope you guys will check it out. The website is at pursuing health.com. Mm-hmm. And you can follow us on Instagram. Our new Instagram handle will be at pursuing health. And we'll also have some private Instagram accounts that will be only for subscribers. So if you subscribe, you'll be able to be invited to those accounts too, which will just be a way that we can connect with you and. Um, continue to build community that way.
1: So exciting.
0: So exciting. Anything else about the website? We do have, we will have some apparel too, which yeah. is really exciting.
1: There's so much. And you know, it's something that we hope will grow into what you guys need and what you guys want. Mm-hmm. So this is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. And if you guys have any ideas, things that you think, okay, this is awesome. We need more of this. Chime in, let us know. Um, if you feel like something isn't working, let us know too. We're always improving.
0: Absolutely. We welcome your feedback. This is just step one. <laughs> All right. So moving on to some other questioners. So questioners, hmm. <laughs> some other questions from listeners. So I have one from the account at Connor has coffee who says your active morning routines, which we kind of already talked about. And then the second part is how often you guys see each other with busy schedules and long shifts.
1: Yes. So well, we see each other in the evenings usually unless julie's on call but it doesn't always mean that we're kind of spending quality time together and it's something that we've been working really hard on mm-hmm. over the last couple of months too right now what we're doing is being very intentional about our mornings mm-hmm. with our you know morning five or morning routines and trying to spend at least you know 5 minutes just chatting in the morning and then doing what, I mean, this is, again, super nerdy, but our morning huddle. Yeah. Um, where It's
0: just time that we have to connect with each other in the morning and yeah. kind of quality time, drinking our coffee, talking about the day ahead, reflecting on the previous yep. day. Connecting and with our purpose. Yeah. And so it's, it's just a good sort of reset every single day.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: And then we also have done a really great job of... Keeping a date night every single week. Yes. Which we haven't always been great at that. Sometimes we, in the past, we would plan on it, but then things would come up and we'd let it slide. But Mm -hmm. I think, especially this year, we've been really diligent about keeping that date night every single week. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that we have that time every week where it's going to be, we're not working on anything, we're just being together and enjoying each other's company.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So we spend that time in the morning and then that date night. That's, Kind of the the primary things lately.
0: Absolutely. All right. Carolyn APA25, who I think we know, said, you both seem very driven by passion for health and helping others. What things slash people do you think fostered those interests and
2: the courage to pursue them? I think my parents, I mean, again, very
1: typical answer. But my parents are very passionate people. My dad is very entrepreneurial, tries new things, kind of goes all in in whatever he, he does. So I think I picked that up from him. And then my mom is very methodical, very strategic, very German. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, your so parents
0: I, are so interesting because they're sort of the opposite of the cultural stereotypes. You know, your dad's from Nicaragua. He's an engineer. Your mom's That's from true. Germany. She's an, an artist, artist. Yeah. But she really approaches art in a very German sort of way, in a very methodical, thought out, regimented sort of way. It's
1: interesting because she does impressionist style art because it's, <laughs> it's not like modern. <laughs>
2: right.
1: Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, I, I got, I think I got those, those traits from, from my parents. And then, you know, going through my medical training, like I mentioned previously, working with Dr. Quintini, I think that kind of can do attitude, doesn't matter, figure it out type of deal really uh, was instilled in me through, through that experience doing research. What about you?
0: I agree. I think, you know, our parents have so much to do with the people that we end up becoming. And I think for me, at least my passion for health and for helping others, a lot of it comes from my mom because my mom Uh, is an optometrist. She owned her own private practice, which her father owned before her. And so I grew up seeing her just develop these amazing long-term relationships with her patients and knowing her community really well. And I had the opportunity to work there for one summer after I graduated from high school before I started college and really see firsthand how impactful that relationship was that she had with her patients And the dedication that she had for her work. So not only was she seeing patients all day, six days a week, or I guess it was maybe five or six days a week. She's in the evenings working on the business. She's reading the journals. She was so dedicated, but also was there for us and our family 100% of the time. And so Mm -hmm. I think that had a huge impression, put a huge impression on me and as I circled back around and realized that I wanted to do family medicine, I think that had a huge impression on me because of the relationships and the staple that she was in her community. And so that's definitely something that I aspire to for sure in our future practice.
1: What a great role model.
0: I know. We've got some, we have great parents. It's true. We really Very lucked blast. out. We really lucked out all around. All right. Two more fun questions. Um, and then we'll start wrapping up. So Ben Smith, two eight two eight, not to be confused with. Ben Smith, CrossFit Games champion, said on Twitter, for each of you, which opportunity are you most excited about that resulted from the other's work?
1: Oh, I mean, just the platform, Julie, that you've, you've developed that has allowed us to really bring our life's work to fruition. I mm-hmm. think that's, that's my answer to that question. I mean, the, the, the website, our practice, you know, the, the reach that we have, the impact that we potentially will have in the future. That would be it.
0: Well, I would say, like we've been talking about this whole episode, I think it's a team effort. It's sort of, it's crazy the way that our paths have taken us to where we are today, that we both met, you know, that you came to the U.S., that we met at the University of Michigan, that we both ended up going to the Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine, that we were introduced to functional medicine so early, that we found our way to family medicine, um, And I'm excited about the things that you've been doing with study MD and learning more about how we can better take care of people in a primary care capacity. And so I just, I'm so excited to see where we go together and I'm, I'm super excited that we're doing it together. Me too. It's a lot of fun. All right. um, Pete Shaw on Twitter, any plans to put together a team of MDs for a sanctioned event?
1: What a great idea.
0: That would be super fun. That
1: would be so fun.
0: (laughs) It's not something I can really fathom right now because I think (laughs) I'm just so, I'm so busy with other things that I I can't really fathom training for any type of sanctioned event. But that would be really fun to do in the future. And there are some very fit MDs out there. Yeah, there are. I'm sure we could come up with a great team. All right, last one. Three, two, one, go MD.
1: Our good friends. (laughs) Dr. Rocket.
0: (laughs) Sean Rocket. Toothpaste rolled from the bottom or squeezed, he asks. Mm. We don't do either.
1: We don't do either. We get one of those chip clips and we kind of scoot it along towards the top.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just scoot it up. (laughs) So true. So true. All right. So we're going to wrap it up. I know you know my three questions I ask everyone, but I thought we should definitely ask you. Mm Mm-hmm. So the first one is, what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health?
1: One would be sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, something that you and I have made a, a really, really big priority and that something that I'm just learning is, you know, a total non-negotiable. I used to think yeah. that, oh, I can, you know, I can power through. It's fine. Right. Um, but yeah, so sleep is other a other little business.
0: known facts. I love sleep and I'm very good at it. <laughs> Danny, not so much. Yeah. But he has really upped his sleep game, especially yeah. over the last year or so. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I'll share this with the rest of the world mm-hmm. um, because I think it's relevant and it will bring awareness to, to this issue is that of sleep apnea. Yeah. I didn't know I had it for the longest time. I thought it was just normal to wake up in the middle of the night and wake up multiple times. Wake up with a headache. You know, it's it's amazing. Like you read these things in textbooks, and you don't think about yourself, um,
0: or you read them in textbooks, and you think you have every disease known to man. Right, right.
1: One or the other. One or the other.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, so I, you know, I had those symptoms, and eventually, you know, at the request of my amazing wife, said, "Why don't oh, you? Hey,
0: how come you stop breathing every yeah,
1: time you sleep? Why don't you get a sleep study?" So I ended up getting a sleep study, and and had moderate to severe, moderate to severe sleep apnea. And did the whole thing, got a CPAP machine, and I feel amazing. It is just unbelievable how good you can actually feel. I encourage everyone who has suspicion of having sleep apnea, if their doctor recommends it, please get it done. It is totally worth it. It can literally change your life. Um, I, for one, felt like I got smarter overnight by the fact that I was able to get a good amount of sleep, Mm -hmm. uninterrupted sleep. Um, So that's. But it
0: didn't happen overnight. I mean, maybe overnight, but... It took you a few months to get used to the CPAP because oh, sure. and I think yeah. that's probably one of the biggest obstacles to people in actually getting treatment is it's uncomfortable and it's hard to get used to. So, mm-hmm. do you have any advice for people who? Yeah, are going through absolutely. That?
1: So, one big piece of advice is to be mindful that there's many different types of masks. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has a different shaped face and. There's so many different types. There's ones that don't even involve your mouth. It's just a nasal pill that sits on your nose. There's ones that you know cover your mouth and nose. Uh, there are ones that have the, the tube coming from out in front of you, ones that have the tube coming out from the top of your head. There's so many different types. So if you get frustrated and you feel like, you know, I don't have a good seal or this feels really uncomfortable, give it another try. Try another mask. Most places will allow you to try different masks. Mm-hmm. And two, know that it can take easily a month to get used to this thing. Certainly initially it kind of felt awkward and it felt weird and it took me a long time to, you know, took me about a month to get get used to it. I think it
0: took more. I think it was even a, a few months before took, you really settled in.
1: Yeah. It took me about a month to really be able to tolerate it for the full night. Yeah. And then probably another month or two to really be able to sleep with it. and And now it's like, Anything else? I really don't even notice it. Yeah, and I make. And a... if
0: you can't sleep with it, if something happens, you don't have it with you, and you can't, you were like freaking out.
1: Yeah, because I know how <laughs> good I can feel. Right? Yeah. I know what it feels like not to get good sleep. But now, when I, you know, let's say that I'm for one reason or another that I that I don't have access to the the machine, and I sleep, I feel horrible. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I look back now; it's kind of like I was hungover every single day, kind of that hungover feeling every single day. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway. Yeah, you talk about,
0: like we talk about it with nutrition all the time about, how oh, people don't know how good they can feel until they start feeling good and they get, you know, maybe they get rid of some of the processed foods or the sugar from their diet and all of a sudden they realize, wow, this is how good I can actually feel. And I think the same thing goes with sleep. If you're not getting good quality sleep, you're probably living in this fog that you think is normal. Right. And so you don't really see a problem with it, but you don't know how good maybe you could feel if you were getting much
1: better quality sleep. Absolutely. And think you know it's not just an issue for people who have you know larger body habitus. It's you know I have somewhat of a normal BMI, maybe a little bit higher because of muscle mass, but I think
0: it's still on the low end. Yeah,
1: but still on the low end. But you know you can still have sleep apnea. It's yeah. still a very real issue for a lot of people with with less with less body fat. So mm-hmm. keep so that
0: in mind. other risk factors for sleep apnea obviously being male, snoring, observed apneas. So. If your partner, bed partner notices that you are gasping for air in the middle of the night or that Mm -hmm. you stop breathing for a moment. And high blood pressure Mm -hmm. is another risk factor.
1: Sure. Collar size greater than 17.
0: Yeah. So a larger neck circumference. Being Mm -hmm. overweight is a risk factor, but it doesn't mean that you have to be overweight to have it.
1: Yeah. Or it doesn't necessarily mean that you do have it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's these are all criteria or risk factors that would prompt um, screening. And then also feeling sleepy throughout the course of the day. Mm-hmm. It's really not normal to feel foggy and tired um, in the middle of the day. Now that's assuming that you're getting, you know, eight hours of sleep. It's not like, you know, you're going to feel crummy in the middle of the day if you're sleeping, you know, six, seven hours a night. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're getting, you know, the full eight, or if you're one of those lucky people that needs less than that, and you're still feeling tired throughout the course of the day, then that's, that might be a reason to ask your doctor if a sleep apnea study is, is a good idea.
2: So, that's
0: our PSA for the day. Okay. So, one, number one, sleep. Now you have two more things that have a positive impact on your health.
1: Um, The other thing is exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, making that a priority for me, it's for my mental health. It allows me to completely decouple from whatever I'm doing. And also from a community aspect, you know, being in the CrossFit gym, being in an affiliate, being able to connect with other people. It's kind of twofold. It's hard. That's the beauty of CrossFit, I think, is that. You get the two of the five important lifestyle factors, you get the fitness aspect, and then you get the community aspect as well. So that's, that's my second one. And my third one is, um, being forgiving of myself Mm -hmm. and knowing that I'm a work in progress. So if I do something that's not necessarily congruent with my goals, um, that, you know, that's okay you know, keep working mm-hmm. at it and, and being forgiving of yourself and, and don't tell yourself a story that's, um, that puts you in a position where you're going to fail in the future. Don't tell yourself like, you're, you you know, you're so you're not a good person. Why did you do this? You know, why, mm-hmm. did why did you eat that ice cream when you mm-hmm. know that you should be eating healthier? You're, you're such a, you know, whatever, whatever word you want to use, but knowing that you are a work in progress for me, that's, that's really important to know. And, By having that attitude, I think it's allowed me to grow a lot more um, in whatever kind of aspect of life I'm applying that.
0: That's so true. And I've seen that for you in a big way. And that's something I am working on in a large way. But I've seen, I think that you are, you've always been more forgiving of yourself, but I've seen you, especially in the last year or two, really hone in on that and I've seen what a positive impact that it's had on you and the way you interact with other people and just everything in your life. So Yeah.
1: It's maybe more empathetic too, to mm-hmm. more understanding of, of other people and mm-hmm. yeah. We're not I'm just perfect. Hap- I'm just happier honestly We're by having humans. that that mindset. <laughs> all
0: right. What is one thing that you think would have an impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it?
1: Probably nutrition. Mm-hmm. I think this is a common one. Um yeah, making good choices on a regular basis. It's not to say I eat poorly, mm-hmm. generally speaking, but I think making making more consistent good choices and not having as many cheap meals or making excuses for why I'm having this or having that, you know, using excuses like, Oh, I just worked out so I can have this <laughs> that it's not a healthy treat, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but that's that's something I, I think I struggle with. I think it's a lot something a lot of other people struggle with too. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Like you said, a work in progress yeah. and don't beat yourself up about it, Right, but just bring awareness to it. Last question. What does a healthy life look like to you?
1: So I thought about this a lot because <laughs> I hear it every two weeks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for yeah. listening to um, my podcast. You're, you're welcome. <laughs>
1: um, but to me, it's, it's a healthy life is one that is filled with peace, really. And that's from many different aspects. Peace in the sense that you provided value to the world, that you made it a better place, that you love people, um, and peace in the sense that um, you're not anxious doing it because it's very easy to get anxious, saying, "Okay, I have to do all these things so that I, you know, I can leave a legacy, or I can, you know, be as good as possible, or be productive, or whatever it may be." But being at peace and and living kind of in the moment, I think that's a really that, for to me that's kind of to me this question is really what's a a, a life that's well lived. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's what i think a, a life that's well lived is is one that's that has peace around it that the individual is at peace with what they're doing and and how they're living.
0: Beautiful. I love it. It's a great note to end on. Yeah. Well, this has been really fun. Yeah. I think we should thanks do for, it again sometime. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you guys all for listening. And you can look forward to Danny appearing more on the podcast with these Pursuing Health Pearls on our alternate weeks. And make sure that you check out pursuing health.com, which is our brand new website starting today, and at pursuinghealth.com on Instagram. Where can listeners find you on social media?
1: They can find me at Danny Arcuyo, MD, on Instagram. And that is pretty much it i think
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right and on the website you can find yes lots from danny there too so thank you guys for tuning in thanks for sitting down with me
1: thank you everyone thank you Julie.
0: hey there thanks so much for tuning into this episode we hope you enjoyed listening to our story as much as we loved sharing it We are so excited for this next chapter of Pursuing Health. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing for less than the price of a latte every month. We are very dedicated to remaining as unbiased as possible by not accepting compensation from companies for endorsement or sponsorship. And it's your support that will allow us to continue to produce and improve the quality of the podcast from this point forward. It is our intention that by subscribing, you'll get back more value than you give through our exclusive discount codes, ask us anything forum morning five sessions, and other training programs. And we only intend to increase the benefits to subscribers as time goes on. So go ahead and visit pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe to learn more and subscribe. Again, that's pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health.